On Tuesday, March 14, 2017, climbing pioneer Royal Robbins died of natural causes at his home in Modesto, California. He was 82 years old. A leader in the world of mountaineering, he completed the first Class 6 climb in America on the northwest face of Yosemite's Half Dome. And in 1961, he completed an ascent of the Salathe Wall on El Capitan. In a long career that included the founding of a global sports apparel brand that bears his name, Royal Robbins was a leader in the outdoor industry and a philanthropic supporter of many organizations that encourage environmental conservation and getting youth outside. In 2009, at the Banff Mountain Film and Book Festival in Alberta, Canada, I had the pleasure of meeting Robbins for the first time. He very graciously agreed to an interview on his book, To Be Brave, the first in a series of memoirs that recounted his remarkable life of adventure. In this flashback edition of the podcast, I'm proud to share for the first time this archived conversation with Royal Robbins. I'm James Edward Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. I called it To Be Brave because I thought that that was good shorthand for uh, what appealed to me most about James Ramsey Ullman's book, A History of Mountaineering, called High Conquest. There's a picture in there of a climber who's, well, he's way out. And I thought, well, that's what I would like to be. And so I would like to be... Well, everybody wants to be brave, so I thought, well, why don't I just call it that? Tell me a little bit about your early days as a climber. I understand that you started with a hemp rope back in 1945. Way back, I learned to climb with the Boy Scouts in a trip to the High Sierra, and after that, uh, I climbed on my own for a while, and uh, we used discarded manila hemp ropes, which were not the strongest, but uh, they were at least available, and something that uh, a poverty-stricken kid could afford. (laughs) So we used those, and we were just, luckily we never fell, so we never had to put them to the test. But uh, manila hemp ropes are not good for leader falls. They tend to break. (laughs) So eventually uh, we graduated to nylon ropes, which are very strong and elastic. So what was it about climbing at that particular time? Because no one was really doing it back then. What, what is it that prompted you to take it up as a sport? Well, that's a good question. And I will probably beat around the bush a little bit in answering it. 
but it was, well, it was risky and therefore attractive to, to a young boy. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way young boys are made. So it attracted me for that reason because it was risky and I was, I didn't have a fear of heights. I was naturally uh, adept at it. So we tend to do what we, what comes naturally to us. And so I poured myself into climbing. Now, in those early days, it sounds like you were pretty much by yourself. At what point did climbing become a little bit more mainstream for you, especially in the days when you were climbing in Yosemite? I think it became more mainstream in the 1960s uh, because the, at the beginning of the 1960s, there were very few climbers. At the end of the 1960s, there seemed to be a lot of climbers. So this was a period when it caught on. And I was always amazed that... Uh, there were so many climbers because it was so hard. I thought the difficulty would would shield it, but it didn't. Um, A lot of people liked the hardness, the difficulty. Back then, El Capitan had never been climbed. Half Dome had never been climbed. What was it like then when you were taking the time to figure out how to climb one of the, the largest vertical summits in Yosemite Valley? Strictly speaking, Half Dome was climbed in June of 1957, and uh, El Capitan was begun in July of 1957. It was completed, the first ascent, in November of 1958. And we made the, uh, well, we call it the first continuous ascent. We got on the the wall, the El Capitan, and at the bottom, and stayed on it until we got to the top. We, that's called a continuous ascent, as opposed to the way the first ascent was done, which was putting up fixed ropes and coming down, putting them higher and coming down, putting them higher and coming down. And so that we did that in 1960, the first uh, continuous ascent. So that was the beginning of the 60s and the beginning of uh, what you might call uh, treating Yosemite walls the way the way Alpine peaks were treated. Uh, you get on them and you stay on them until you get to the top. That was the idea. Uh, and were, in that particular ascent, how long were you on the wall? We were on for seven days. We did the second ascent of El Cap, and the first ascent had taken 45 days, and they had spread it over a lot, well, period of year and a half approximately. And uh, that just showed that uh, the first time you do something, it's uh, it's scary, and uh, you you tend to imagine things being much worse than they are. But that's always the case the first time you do something. It was the case when we climbed Half Dome, and it was the case when our friends did El Capitan. And it's, it's a lot easier to come second and third, a lot easier. Through the intervening years, you became a professional climber. You started a company that bears your name today. What was it like when you were making the transition between a climber as a hobbyist to becoming a professional and ultimately the founder of one of the major brands in the outdoor industry? Well, back in those days, if you made a living and you were a climber, that was unusual. And uh, we looked to England for Chris Bonington, who was the master of that. I mean, this was a guy who climbed full-time, and he wrote books about climbing, and he led expeditions to the Himalaya. And he didn't have to have another job the way most of us did. And I started a climbing school in, uh, I guess it was the late 1960s. And we made some living from that, but 
At the same time, we had our wholesale climbing company, which basically imported and distributed mountain climbing equipment across the United States. That was the beginning. Eventually, it, with Liz's uh, inventiveness, it turned into a clothing company for travel and outdoors. But it started as a climbing equipment company back in 1968. And through the last almost 50 years now, you've managed to keep that company going. But it seems to me now that you're doing things on behalf of the environment itself. I mean, working towards maintaining wild and scenic places for the benefit of others in, in, in continuing your work promoting climbing. What are you doing now in, in terms of, of your, your re- retired life, but also in, in the world of, of preservation of, of wild places? Well, what I'm doing now is primarily putting uh, time and energy and some money into causes I believe in, like the Boy Scouts, like the Yosemite Fund, like the Continental Divide Trail Alliance. Choose Outdoors uh, is a an organization that I support too. So all of these, I when I have time, I I give to Rotary uh, International uh, time and and money and energy because I believe in what they are doing, and uh, I've always done what I believed in. So it's just a continuation of the past. How do you think climbing has changed significantly in, in, in the time since you first started until today? Has climbing changed? Uh, it's certainly changed in what people are doing. Uh, it's a pretty amazing to me to see individuals doing what I didn't even bother to say. Well, that's impossible because it was clearly impossible, but they're doing it today. So you have that, and that's partly equipment and partly the way climbers look at climbing. You always do something new. So there's that. But the main thing is that it seems to me that that the spirit of climbing is much the same. Uh, people climb for inner reasons, and they climb uh, because... It's self-fulfilling. It just makes them whole. And I think that, that that's always been the case. So tell me a little bit about your book. What are some of the central themes that we can enjoy once we get a chance to read it? I, I wrapped the book, which is a story of my youth, in a solo ascent of the west face of the Leaning Tower. And it starts it out and then finishes it because I wanted the emphasis to be on climbing. And... That is the beginning chapter and the last chapter, but in, in the middle of the book, it's where I was born and how I grew up and so forth, how I got into climbing and why it was fascinating for me. So that's, that's what the book is about, uh, up till about age 15. Now, as I, I understand, it, it's going to be part of, a, of an ongoing series of, of books. What, what's, what's the next one? Uh, the next one goes from meeting the Sierra Club, which I did at age 15, through my early climbs in Southern California to finishing with the first ascent of the northwest face of Half Dome. So it's all climbing. <laughs> so how many books can we, can we look forward to? Uh, if I last long enough, uh, seven. 
that's quite a long series of, of books, but, it, but frankly, it's a, it's a long period of time to, to take a look at in terms of your career in climbing. Is there anything in particular that you believe that you've learned well, in, your, in your time as a climber? I don't know, uh, but, but I want to inspire others. I want to, I was inspired myself as a kid by great writers, and I want to do the same for others. Uh, it seems like a giving back. That's about it, I think. Okay, good. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. It's a pleasure You're meeting you. Welcome. Good luck with it. Thank, thank you. Before his death, Royal Robbins completed three volumes of his memoir called My Life. After To Be Brave, he published Volume 2, Fail Falling, and Volume 3, The Golden Age. His life's work as a climber, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist will continue to inspire many around the world for generations yet to come. For The Joy Chip Project, this is James Edward Mills.